It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Cooper, it was 91 years ago yesterday that the film, the 1931 film Frankenstein with Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster, based on the Mary Shelley novel, was uh, released and created cinema history. And uh, it has certainly withstood the test of time uh, because as tastes change, as tastes evolve, that's still just as good today as it was back in 1931. One of the uh, things that has been changing is the view of college in America. About 90 years ago, 100 years ago, it was a pretty unusual thing to go to college. Uh, These days, it seems like it could be a pretty unusual thing not to go to college. Is that a wise... Is that a wise thing? We've certainly covered this issue at length with uh, our friend Mike Porcelli, who's a big advocate of uh, trade education. And Michael Gibson is the co-founder of the 1517 Fund, which mainly invests in people without college degrees. He is also the author of Paper Belt on Fire, How Renegade Investors Sparked a Revolt Against the University. Michael, thanks for staying up late with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Frank. A sure thing. Hey, what's the fifteen seventeen fund? Yeah, that was a, a, a name we gave ourselves as a geeky reference of all things to the the year Martin Luther nailed his ninety five theses to a church door. And what the reference is is an analogy. We thought the university system was uh, today's university system was, you know, similar to the corrupt Catholic Church of the 16th century. So what was going on? The church was, uh, you know, selling these things called indulgences. It was this piece of paper. If you paid the church money, they basically said you're absolved of your sins and maybe your relatives too. Uh, and then you could keep on sinning and then pay again and, 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 and get absolved again. Um, so, you know, what we wanted to say was that the modern university is the same corrupt institution. There's this piece of paper that they sell at great cost. It's called a diploma. If you don't have one, you go to hell. And so we named ourselves 1517 as a way of saying we don't believe in indulgences. I love it. I love it. I think that's great. Hey, uh, just so folks are underwear, uh, are, are aware excuse me, of what exactly is going on in the world today in terms of higher education, at ballpark, how many American adults, what percentage ballpark, have a college degree? Oh, uh, well, I think it's, you know, less than a third. Less than um, a third. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at, at any given time, there's somewhere between 18, 20 million students in college. So, you know, 
it, it, it's it's yeah, it's I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's it's a minority. You know, most people don't have a college degree. They pursue different kinds of careers that don't require that. Um, but like you said in the intro, you know, the the overwhelming sense is that um, if you don't have one, you have a dunce cap uh, right. attached to your head for well, the so, rest of your life. So well, I guess one, one of my questions is, have the how much has the number of people attending college gone up since, say, World War Two? It seems like post World War Two, when you had all these GIs coming back to America and getting the opportunity to go to college for free, that's really when people, at least men, young men, started to go to college en masse. I'm wondering, have we seen the number of people enrolling in colleges go up significantly since 1946? Yeah, both on two levels. I mean, just, I mean, the bare fact that there are more people alive now than in the past, certainly there's a greater number, but proportionally to the number of Americans has increased. It, it, It has, you know, sort of leveled out, though. Um, you know, increased rapidly from 65 to call it like 1990 and 2000. But, you know, we sort of hit the, the high water mark on, on the number of people going as a proportion of the whole population. Um, you know, the same is true of, of graduation rates and so on at the high school level. Um, you know, we seem to have hit some kind of limit uh, and, and we haven't improved. Um, but, yeah, it does seem to be the case that, you know, and with the GI Bill, that led to a lot of people to to, to go to college. Uh, there's this idea that the workforce became more complicated. You know, the labor market required jobs that required, uh, you know, high levels of skill and cognitive ability. And so people thought that in order to succeed in life, you definitely needed a college degree. Um, and, and they followed that incentive. But the, the, the real question is, like, how come more people don't? You know, so if there is this college wage mm-hmm. premium, uh, you know, that, that sets a big jackpot prize at the end of that path. Um, but, you know, we do, you'd think that if that's the case, we'd see more and more people going, and but they choose not to. And there are some research papers that show, you know, even in, I guess there was a program in Michigan where they were offering free college to certain people, and it was like only women were enrolling, men were choosing not to go. So, you know, even though, even though the, the prize is there, uh, you know, that we, we have hit a limit. You had a terrific op-ed in the New York Post over the weekend called The College Debt Solution, Let Kids Go to Work Instead of School. So you mentioned how the number of students enrolling in college might have uh, leveled off uh, over the last few years. One thing that has absolutely not leveled off is the level of college tuition. It seems to be uh, whether the economy is doing well, whether it's doing poorly, uh, the tuition seems to only go one way. What, yep. what does what do these increasing tuition costs do to someone that has to borrow money in order to fund a an education at a private college? Yeah, yeah. When I looked at the numbers, I was astonished because it was like from mid seventies to today, it's up, you know, over four hundred percent in in real terms. So not counting inflation, um, you know, what are you getting in return for that? Is is an open question. Um, you know, people, when they, they point to why the increase in cost, they don't necessarily say, oh, it's because the teaching is better. It's always something like, uh, well, for one thing, there are all these additional administrators. Um, there are, you know, dorm rooms look like hotels now. The library has Starbucks, all that kind of stuff, and it adds up. 
But like you pointed out, you know, if you are, if we do see this as a way to attain the American dream, then there are a lot of people who are taking out quite substantial loans in order to pay these things off, and uh, or or to to attend, and then they spend the rest of their life paying it off, and and, and that debt burden can be quite quite a burden. Um, you know, the average the average seems pretty low, depending public private, but in total, there's 1.7 trillion dollars of student debt outstanding. Um, that's a political issue. No one uh, wants to. You know, everyone recognizes. People have different answers to it. Um, I think that's why you know Joe Biden and, and his administration they've been working to try to um, erase some portion of that debt, just cancel it out. Um, but uh, but yeah, no one has a good answer for how to control the rising costs. So everyone agrees, okay, $1.7 trillion, that's bad. Uh, then there's the second po- uh, problem, which is like not everyone, you know, seems to be getting the skills that are rewarded in the, mar- in the labor market. And then the last thing is that the cost keeps going up. So, uh, you know, everyone agrees these are the problems, but there are different ways of solving it. You know, maybe we cancel it out, maybe we pay it off. But, you know, the one thing I noticed is that no one seems to be blaming the universities mm-hmm. well, uh, because so, they, they they seem to be the main culprit for driving the, the rising costs. All right. So what are, let's say you don't want to send your, your child to a university where they're going to have to borrow money and be saddled with, in some cases, mm-hmm. decades of debt to spend uh, $53,000 a year on tuition. And that's a conservative estimate. What are the alternatives for a young person that wants a vibrant future? Is the choice uh, college education or crack addiction? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, where to begin on this? I, look, I, I, I think it, everyone wants to focus on that college wage premium, meaning uh, college graduates will earn on average something like 60, 70 percent more than someone who just has a college uh, high school degree. Um, and then the standard story is that, um, you know, the reason they're paid more is that they have these skills that they learned in college and now they're, th- those skills are rewarded. But, you so, know, so why, I, is that like, a, why is that a flawed argument? I, yeah. So anecdotally, I think we can all see how this is flawed. Number one would be, I mean, we why, either for yourself, me or people we know, hardly anyone pursues a career that's related to what they studied in college. Um, you know, I studied philosophy. I, I, I now work on the investment <laughs> in venture capital. It does not bear a strong resemblance to what I studied in school. And I think there are other examples like that out there. So that's kind of funny. Um, that makes you scratch your head. Then there might be something like this, is that, you know, I've forgotten a lot of what I've studied. I studied French for a long time in, in high school and college. Um, and, I, and I don't remember it now. So if somehow I learned skills in college and I forgot them, how am I being rewarded in the marketplace? Um, that doesn't make sense either, because if I've forgotten, that should be the same thing as failing. So how is you know, failing different from forgetting? Um, you know, the counter argument is to say, oh, well, you don't learn what to think in college. You learn how to think. Um, but when you drill down into that research, too, there's just tremendous amount. There's 90 years of research in the psychology of education that shows that, you know, schools and colleges aren't t- teaching people how to think. You know, they present them with tests where it's like, oh, you learn this in one domain. Can you apply it in a new domain? And people consistently fail on that where they don't show improvement. Mm. Um, so, so it's like the, there's no evidence that college is actually imparting. You know, the main thing about it is, is that it's imparting skills. So what else is going on? Well, there's a whole body of economics research called 
the signaling theory of education. And what this is about is like, it's like, okay, education is not about obtaining skills uh, that are rewarded. Instead, it's about showing the labor market that you're a certain type of person. And what does that mean? Well, it's the difference between like a gem appraiser and someone who actually cuts a rock and, you know, pulls the diamond out. You know, the, the signaling theory says, oh, college is the appraiser. You just hand them a gem and they're like, okay, this one's good. And then the, the alternative theory would be that, oh, no, you know, they actually polish and, and cut the gem and, and improve its value. But, the, you know, so to see the difference is like, okay, you worked hard, you got in the school, you were already, you know, you showed that you were intelligent, intelligent and then, you know, the four years uh, to get your degree represented this four-year project where you, you followed orders, you took assignments, you got them done. Um, and so that tells the labor market that you are a good person to hire. It has nothing to do with the content of what you learned. So once you take that seriously, okay, so let's get back to what I do for a living. You know, in 2010, I, I worked for Peter Thiel. He's the PayPal co-founder, first investor Facebook, Silicon Valley all-star. And he was looking at these arguments and he was thinking, wow, yeah, you know, I, I backed people who don't have college degrees. Uh, so if the substance is there, but the credentials not, you know, let's let's support that. So 2010 started this program. We gave out grants to people. There were two noteworthy conditions. Um, one of them was that uh, you had to be 19 and under to apply for the grant. And then the next one was that you couldn't be in school to get it. So it was $100,000 over two years. And we just saw incredible things come out of that program. Um, you know, probably the most notable was we discovered this young man, Vitalik Buterin. He's the creator of Ethereum, helped him launch that mm. in 2013. There's another young man, Dylan Field, made news recently. We helped him launch a company called Figma in 2012 that was recently bought by Adobe for $20 billion. Um, so we, you know, those are some high-flying examples, but we also just saw other people establish their careers uh, without degrees, um, mainly in tech. And so that's what, sort of what got me thinking about this broader case that, okay, is there some way to really help people get the skills they need um, that, that in fact are rewarded in the marketplace uh, or to send that signal that college seems to be sending? Uh, is there a way to short circuit that? And in, in, in tech, it's easier because it's like, like if you're a computer engineer, either you have the skills to build something or you don't. Um, you know, there's a site called uh, GitHub. People upload their code, their peers vote on it, and that's even better than a resume. So when I saw that, I, that's what really turned me back to looking at, at the trades and, and, and other programs like the one in Switzerland I mentioned in my op-ed. They have an apprenticeship program that's fantastic. Seventy percent of all teens are in it. Um, the you know they spend their week in class in part, but also working and and then you know working with industry mentors. And there uh, a substantial number of people are able to launch their careers without uh, a college degree. Um, and and these are in jobs that aren't you know it's the trades, but manufacturing, but also banking, you know, and retail and other things. Um, so. Uh, in the United States, we've just gone off the wrong track. I think there was this misguided ideal that, uh, you know, college was imparting skills and then that it was this vehicle for the American dream. And, and, and now our government has just hitched its wagon to that and we're, you know, heading off a cliff. Mm -hmm. so Let me, I think a couple it, of things, Michael. And if people just, you yeah. know, we're talking with Michael Gibson. 
He is the co-founder of the 1517 Fund, which uh, mainly invests in people without college degrees. Also the author of uh, Paper Belt on Fire, How Renegade Investors Sparked a Revolt Against the University. Uh, by the way, I'm going to link uh, to Michael's column in the New York Post on my Facebook page. So if you haven't read it yet, I definitely recommend you check it out, uh, facebook.com slash moranofan. Um, one, let me um, let me just note that uh, the owner of our radio station, John Katsimatidis, He's, he's the most successful person I know. He's a billionaire, self-made. He doesn't have a college degree, number one. And the, yeah. the smartest person on uh, our radio station in New York is is Curtis Lewa. He never even he never went to college either. Wow. So um, the, yeah. I I think it is very very possible to be have a robust educational portfolio and uh, to have an incredible professional level of achievement without having a college degree. Let me yeah, absolutely. Let me share with you an email I just got from a listener. She writes, "It's nauseating to me to hear educated, privileged a holes. I guess she's talking about you and me talking <laughs> about how education is unimportant." Now, you're not saying education's unimportant, no, are you? Not at all. I'm just saying that our schools aren't doing what they say they are. <laughs> um, I look. I, I I I said I studied philosophy. I think it's. I think it's a wonderful subject. I think wrestling with these, you know, fundamental questions of life are, are something that everyone should do. Um, but our schools aren't doing it. You know, they claim they are, and then colleges are, are charging quite a fortune. So I think if someone does want to, you know, study that in college, then they have a fork in the road where uh, if they have to take on debt in order to do it, then they're going to have to be prepared to take a safe but well-paying job to, to cover that debt on the other side. And that may quash their passions and dreams to do something else. So, um, let's talk- so I, and, and then here's the other last point on that, is that who says that uh, education is the same thing as school? I mean, school is just some technique of educating people in a building. Um, I know so many people who have continued to learn when they're out of school, including myself, and have enriched their minds and ennobled their souls in ways that no teacher ever did for them. So the idea that you can only learn in one place and only during one point in your life is just absurd to me. So let's talk about the issue of debt forgiveness. You mention, uh, or you at least have a photo in your piece, of protesters holding up signs that highlight the point that Wall Street was bailed out. Now, if Wall Street got bailed out, why shouldn't students who are thinking that they're doing the right thing for themselves and for society, why shouldn't they also be entitled to a bailout? Well, uh, yeah, it's complicated. In, in some sense, I do feel for people in the past if they were bilked. Um, you know, if there was fraudulent advertising, you know, a, a, there are a lot of bad uh, colleges out there, both nonprofit and for profit, where, you know, maybe the bill of goods aren't exactly what you know, they were selling. And so people, you know, attended these programs, they earned degrees, and and now they're not making the money that they thought they would. Um, You know, I think we need to hold the real culprit accountable, the universities Mm. on this. And then and then we could get into the legal details. There could be the case that, okay, maybe there's a strange law in the United States where, and I think this was in the early 2000s, where the government decided that you could no longer discharge your student debt in bankruptcy. Um, I think, you know, we could change that law that, you know, turns it back to the individual. If things aren't going well and they show that they're not going to be able to pay things off, then maybe they could discharge the debt in bankruptcy. But that would be a case by case thing. I don't think, you know, to wipe out a, a whole swath of debt. 
and then have the rest of the country pay for it. I mean, it just seems massively unfair to ask someone who, you know, paid off the, you know, worked day and night so that they could pay off their child's college tuition. Uh, now that person has to foot the bill for someone who, who studied basket weaving right. or, you know, right. Lady Gaga, uh, hey, whatever. Um, I, I have to run, Michael. One question I yeah. want to end with is you talk about the National Apprenticeship Program that Switzerland offers. Yeah. Can you give us a primer on what that is and how the United States might be able to emulate that? Yeah, so the, Switzerland is just in, – in Germany in part and in, in, in our, Austria as well, um, you know, they've just done a really great job of building out a, a, a solid transition for teens to move from school to the workforce. And they make no bones about where the best way to learn skills, you know, the place to learn is, and it's in the workplace. Um, so they have a national program. The government uh, does disperse money to support it. Uh, there is some uh, institutional aspect to it where the, the, you know, involving government oversight of the companies that hire these apprentices and so on. But as I said, yeah, that just 70 uh, percent of these of Swiss teens are a part of it. And, and many launch uh, their careers without college degrees. What does that mean? It means that they don't have an underclass of people in their 20s who are de in debt servitude and, you know, wishing their life had taken a different course. And that, that just really impressed me. I think, uh, you know, the United States would do well to try to emulate that system. Maybe we can't just copy and paste. But uh, I just hate the way the trades Absolutely. are denigrated in our country. Uh, yeah, and, no, that is terrific. Michael, you got to come back in the future. I think this is a great okay. column. I'll uh, look forward to checking out. Um, well, thanks for book. having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 